welcome to another episode of the Give Me Liberty podcast. Hey, look, in many ways, young people in America are facing a crisis. Patriotism is at an all-time low. Cultural Marxism is at an all-time high. Young people are increasingly embracing postmodernism and rejecting biblical truth, truth that does not change. While our current situation may at times feel hopeless, we know that our hope is not dependent on our circumstances. Our hope remains in Jesus Christ. Here to discuss all of this and more is Cabot Phillips. Cabot is actually a graduate of Liberty University, and he joins the Give Me Liberty podcast starting now. And welcome back to the Give Me Liberty podcast. And I'm joined by special guests right here in our studio at the Standing for Freedom Center, Cabot Phillips, senior editor at the Daily Wire, co-host of the Morning Wire, where I think Megan Basham and many others yeah. that are on there. Uh, welcome. It's it so is, good to see you. It's great to be here. Liberty's home. Yeah. Liberty's home for me. It's great to be back home. Well, you graduated in 2015. Yep, is that right? 2015. Okay, how old do you feel now? I feel, I mean, in political years, it's kind of like dog years. In political years, I'm <laughs> yeah. 60. I worked on the 2016 presidential campaign on Marco Rubio's race. Yeah. That race alone aged me five years. And sure. The Trump presidency covering all of that was another 20 years with all this, the craziness there in the media. And so I, I think I'm 60 in political years. Uh, if you're 60, I'm yeah. already dead. Okay. So so you're young yeah. and you get you got a lot of life in you, a lot of yeah. spring in your step and 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 lots of things to look forward to. We're living in a time where it's looking desperate and you, you see crisis everywhere see what's happening in the middle east you see what the destabilization there what's happening in, in modern turkey but then you're also seeing the fragmentation and the balkanization of our culture here in the united states and uh, you know i am i just turned 40. i have never seen a, a time quite like this in america right um you know, I, it, it really is bizarre to see a culture that is so deconstructed. And the thing is, is that most, it's like an ecosystem, right? Fish in a fish tank, they're just drinking the water, right? And most folks don't even know what the alternative is mm. or how it used to be. They're, they've imbibed in this, this alternate reality that is no longer truth. So you have the youngest generation. If you pull most young Americans, they are religiously unidentified, non-religious. Um, so re, you know, American relig religiosity is at an all-time low, not spirituality, but yeah. just organized religion. Yeah. And at the same time, so is patriotism. So this love of country, this sense of national identity, all of that is at an all-time low. How do we peel this back? You do so much reporting, so much truth that you're putting back, um, you know, out there through alternative news and alternative yeah. media. How do we address this? Yeah. I think it starts with reminding people, young people especially, that truth still exists yeah. and that there is a truth. Um, we all see this movement of my truth, your truth, and truth is whatever you make of it. Truthiness. The truthiness movement, that's what we'll call it. It sounds a lot nicer than it actually is. Yeah. And I think that denigration of the concept that there can actually be a singular truth and that it is concrete and fixed and it's not subjective, I do think that has just eroded, um, especially young people, their idea of what they should be pursuing in life, their idea of of truth being um, something universal that we can agree on. And I, I do think that that watering down of truth has led people to question everything, which 
can be a good thing if, if you're questioning, you know, the established notions on things that they're not positive. But I actually think it's, it's resulted in a negative thing because the answers that are being given to those questions are being provided by our institutions in America that are dominated by the left, especially cultural institutions, the entertainment world, education for the most part, unlike at places like Liberty. Um, and I, I think that has played a huge role. And I like that you touched on the patriotic aspect because it is kind of a microcosm of the broader issue. Yeah. And what you see happening with patriotism, I think a big reason it's so low right now with young people is because they've been convinced that to be proud of America is to be proud of the worst aspects of American history. And that if you love America, it must mean that you love all of the evil things that have happened in our country throughout time, as they have in every culture and country. And so people are almost fearful of saying, yeah, I'm proud of that because they don't want to be tied in with those things. And we know the reason that the left and the reason our culture is doing that. It's because it's a lot harder to get an entire generation to go along with fundamentally shifting our culture if they think their culture is something worth revering and preserving. And if you get people to concede the notion that they should be ashamed of their country, then you come along and say, hey, well, don't you think we should upend all of those principles that we were founded on? And if they say no, well, you say, well, hold on. I thought you agreed that you should be ashamed of our country's history. And so it's, it's, it's this tool that they use to try and sort of beat people into submission with robbing them of their patriotism to convince them to alter all of our uh, institutions and our, our principles. And I think you see a similar thing happening with the American church. I think you see a similar thing happening with, with truth as a whole. And there's a lot to get into on that, but I, I, I do think that's yeah. where, and that's, that's the motive behind the denigration there. I do want to get into that, the American church and how that's spilling over and how that's, that's influencing so many churches across the country. But I'll go back to something else. People are, you know, you every time a presidential election comes, like if so-and-so wins the election, yeah. I'm leaving the country. I'm yeah. going to Canada. You hear that all the time, yeah. right? It doesn't matter if it's like Cher most recently, um, you know, Sean Penn. And there's been other actors like old Hollywood. Yeah. I see old Hollywood. They're not old Hollywood, but they're old now. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they threaten to leave. And you're like, well, why don't you just leave? Yeah. They don't want to leave. People are literally dying to get in here, mm -hmm. right? They want to get in. It's not a cemetery. Yeah. But people are. I mean, they, they will risk life and limb. You know, people want to mass migrate across the border. People literally from all over the world are trying to get desperate to get into this country and not just to kill Americans, but, you know, as, as we hear on the nightly news, but like some people are literally fleeing yeah. tyranny. They're fleeing other countries. They're desperate to get in here. Um, and then you have folks that are so disillusioned, mental health crisis. You look at the number of people that are suicidal. Uh, men, especially young yeah. boys, uh, teenage suicide is through the roof, greatest it's ever been uh, since they've been taking statistics, yeah. right? Um, and so people are depressed, they're clinically depressed, they're suicidal, people hate themselves, they hate their biological sex, you know, you go on and on and on. And so, of course, they're not going to be patriotic. Uh, but beyond that, and even, yeah. even greater than that, they have no sense of identity be, uh, because they don't understand that there is a creator, there is a God, yeah. there is a sense of purpose, they are valued and loved, right? Yeah. Um, so you have that, uh, and, and it's not mutually exclusive. It's, in, you know, faith and freedom are inextricably linked. So now you have a problem in the church. Mm. There, we, we're seeing a problem in the pulpit today um, First, we'll go to a George Barna statistic. It's like 4% of Americans have a biblical worldview, mm. but less than one-third of American pulpits do as well. Mm. And that's probably the scariest thing. You think about, we are talking about relativism, postmodernity, and your truth. It's, all, it's also capturing the church, not just entertainment, not just news and media, but yeah. also the church. And I actually think that
because the so much of the American church today mirrors the culture, I actually think that is turning a lot of young people away. Um, I, I really think that a lot of young people, if they go to church, when they go to church, when they're exposed to Christians, they want to see something different. Mm. They, they want to see something that is not reflecting the world. They want to see a juxtaposition between what they're constantly being told because the world is not fulfilling them. Our culture right now is not giving them purpose. There, you talk about the, the deaths of hopelessness, which is what they are, these overdose deaths and suicides. It's deaths of hopelessness, and we have a crisis of purpose right now where young people are thinking, oh, I'm not feeling fulfilled from what the culture is telling me. So then they, if they do have some foray into Christianity, so many times they're hearing the same message. Yeah. And so many of our churches are doing a disservice to those people who want to come and feel purpose and hope, and they're getting the same message that they are hearing from the world. Mm. And I think that that is... A, a crime in and of itself, and it's indicative of, of why we need churches that are standing out from the world and are actually providing a biblical worldview to them, because it should be a little weird right now. Yeah. Like, it should seem a little crazy, because when the culture is devoid of truth, truth should seem radical. It should yeah. be something that people are like a little uncomfortable in their seat when they're hearing, because they're not getting it from our culture. That's right. Since 1971, Liberty University has had one mission, training champions for Christ. We've been at this for a while, and in the shadow of the Blue Ridge Mountains, we have grown to be a global force. Today, Liberty runs over 100,000 students around the globe, studying across 15 colleges and schools, and among them, over 30,000 military students. Across 700 programs of study, we train as one, nurses, artists, business leaders of the future and today. Together, we work to give back through service trips, local community work, and over 500,000 volunteer hours per year. And we play just as hard as we study with 20 NCAA athletic programs and 40 club sports teams. So who are we? We are Liberty University, and we train champions for Christ. You know, it's interesting. I was seeing an interview recently with Kat Von D yeah. with Ali Ali Bastucki. Mm -hmm. And in that interview, she says a lot and 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 she's she is a Christian. Uh, she came to faith in Christ just a few years ago, uh, but more recently has gone public with that, had a baptism and all of that. But what was interesting in hearing her interview is that she she said she was looking for a church that was not trying to look like the rest of the world, mm -hmm. but a church that was trying to look like the New Testament. It was trying to look like the Bible, um, trying to be obedient. She was looking for a place that was traditional, a, a place that sang hymns, that was not trying to do their best to do karaoke-style pop music, right? <laughs> but actually actually something that uh, a church that was tapped into the traditions. Uh, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but but churches that were that, that are more creedal, you know, um, which is it's really interesting to see that, that when you see this crisis of identity, when you see uh, the fragmentation of culture, people are looking to tap into uh, things that are lasting. Yeah things with purpose, things with richness uh, and depth to them instead of being shallow, right? Um, do you think that that it's winnable? Do you think that there there is the potential we can win this back, we can reclaim the culture for a moral consensus and even a Christian consensus? Yeah. Uh, I think it's winnable if we present a compelling alternative and if we don't water down what truth is if we don't water down what a Christian worldview actually is and should look like in our culture today. I think it's winnable if we present a real alternative. 
And I understand the, um, the desire when you're trying to reach young people to speak the way they do, to uh, you know, try and embrace the things that they relate with. And I understand the desire for that. But I actually think a lot of times you turn those people away when you do that because it doesn't, it doesn't seem authentic. Mm -hmm. um, I turned 30 this month. And when I go to college campuses, even five years ago, I go to college campuses. I, I, I've visited over 150 campuses. I've talked to thousands of college students. Yeah. And I felt this shift of me realizing I'm not hip anymore. I'm not with the, the college culture. I don't fully understand the terminology they're using. And I tried to hold on to it of saying, well, I'm going to just keep talking the way they do. I, you know, I see how they talk on social media. Maybe I'll do that. And I realized I was turning them off. They were saying, this is weird. Something's off here. Like, I actually don't like this. I can tell you're just trying to give me what I want to hear. And I think it's much more compelling. I think the church does the same thing, though, where we try yeah. and say, I understand meeting people where they are. But also, I think young people crave something different. Yeah. Young people also, they crave... Um, I think they crave structure also right now yeah. where there's so much of things up in the air and everything is relative and there, there isn't even truth we can agree on. I do think they crave structure. And I think if we can provide them that as well, I think the battle is winnable. And I'm eternally optimistic when it comes to, you know, uh, the spiritual world. I'm not always as optimistic politically speaking. Sometimes when I look at the data, um, spiritually speaking, the battle is already won. So I'm optimistic on that front. Yeah. Um, but I'm not optimistic that this is a winnable battle if we don't identify it as a battle and if we don't have people being willing to get into it. One of the most discouraging things I see from young people, the number one question I get on campuses around the country is, is young people saying, what do I do if I know that giving my opinions is gonna make me lose friends, it's gonna make people call me names, it's gonna make my professors maybe grade my paper differently, what do I do? Because right now I'm, it's not worth it for me to speak up. And it's one of the most discouraging things for me to hear in that they're weighing the cost and they're saying truth is less important than social acceptance or truth is less important than that grade in my class. And I think we need to convince those people to say, hey, this is worth fighting for and this is something that you should care about and it, it's worth, like count the cost. And I do think that if we can encourage those people to understand this is worth it and sort of get them to reprioritize where they're at and what's actually important to them, um, I, I think it's a winnable battle on that front. But again, we, we actually have to stand out. I think the more we try and blend in with culture, the less compelling our message becomes. You know, I, I'm reminded, like when you were talking about the, there's a, kind of this cringy aspect, and I totally agree. Like, you know, when uh, you see politicians do it, right? Yeah. They're trying to say something from the stage. I remember there was several years ago when Obama was president and he was trying to quote something like, I think it was like uh, Jersey Shore, like Snooky. <laughs> yeah. And a way like, like in a way, like he didn't know what that was, but like a speechwriter put that in there. Yeah. And that was cringy. Um, I saw it when when Jeb Bush was trying to grapple with the fact that he was in fourth or fifth place right. and he was making certain uh, certain statements from the stage that just were completely off kilter in 2016. Um, you know, he was I think he was even referencing like, um, you know, Supergirl and yeah. calling her yep. hot. I and I was like, what is that? Yeah. Like, why are you doing you that? Know, working on the Rubio campaign on the time. I was very happy when that happened. Actually. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yes, yeah. Please keep you trying remember this. that. Yeah. Keep trying this. Hillary like, Clinton saying Pokemon go to the polls. Right. And those things, all the cultural. That's yeah, right. Yeah. And then she said deplorable. And yeah. then we were. Like, yeah. But you're right. I mean, there, there are those moments that kind of stand out. And when when you're not into it. So for a young person, part of what uh, the the Gen Z generation is looking for is stability. Yeah. And you look at how unstable their lives are. They're looking for something. They say, I can hold on to that. I can count on this. Yeah. Can I count on you? Can I count on this person? I can't. Many uh, 
We're just having a conversation about the fatherless epidemic yeah. we have in our country, which has problems across the board. The, the, the highest correlation of mass shooting, the, the, the thing that yeah. everybody has in common, regardless of nationality, age, whatever, fatherless. Yeah. They, all of them come from fatherless homes. Yeah. So there's, there's issues there. Um, but basically, they're looking for people or things that they believe they can count on. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, Marxism does, cultural Marxism in its various forms, mm -hmm. you know, sexual, racial, whatever those identity groups are, however they come, they come masquerading as an angel of light, basically yeah. saying, you are loved. You are special. You are so special. If you will just do this thing, you'll act on these proclivities. We are going to champion you. We're yeah. going to hoist you on our shoulders. You are going to be our victimized hero. Yeah. And we're going to make a hero. We're going to lionize you. The moment they do that, that's the loneliest moment they ever experience because they're quickly abandoned. As soon as they come out, as soon as they make their statement or this or that, as soon as they uh, do undergo a biological yeah. a surgery, Right, that doesn't really change your your biology, yeah. but as soon as it, it's irreversible, in the sense that you, you you will never go back physically to the way you were before, but it doesn't change your actual sexual identity. Uh, the moment that happens, they're abandoned. Yeah, and I think you touch on an important point when it comes to like the cultural Marxism we're seeing. The left has done a very good job over the last few decades, especially of making young people especially feel like they are part of something bigger than them. And there is this deep innate desire in people to feel like they're a part of a bigger movement, to feel like they are really contributing. It, it, it's almost a, a form of religion that, that, that the left has totally. of saying, yeah, making this into a religion. And I do think that the right needs to do a better job from a, a messaging standpoint of reminding people, hey, like, Yes, we embrace the, the notion of you know, individualism as we should, and we reject the idea of collectivism. We reject the idea that you know, you're defined by the, the people around you, your class, whatever it is. But we also need to couple that individualism with a movement that they're a part of and a broader uh, you know, idea and, and something for them to feel like they're on a team. <laughs> and yeah. I think that people crave that, that they don't want to stick out so many of them. They, they, want to, they want to fit in with something bigger than them. And Another interesting topic, I was just reading a study this morning on Gen Z, and there was a big survey that came out after the Elections Tuesday, and they were talking about the gender breakdown of Gen Z and their political affiliation, and how among Gen Z, younger men, younger boys are much more likely to embrace conservative ideas than younger girls. And I was thinking, through, what's causing that? Why is that? Yeah. And, you know, you know we don't see as large, obviously, women are more likely to vote Democrat at this point, but the, the disparity was much larger in Gen Z. And they asked men questions, young men questions like, you know, uh, do you identify with feminism? Do you support feminism? And the numbers were around 25 to 30 percent. It was very low in this poll. And they were asking them, do you identify as liberal or very liberal? And the numbers were below 50 percent, which is encouraging on its yeah. own face. And the, yeah. for women, it was it was considerably higher, 20, 30 percent higher on a lot of these questions. And I do think a big part of it there is for the young men, young boys and men, they don't like being told what to do. <laughs> they don't like being told Here's what you're supposed to believe. Here's what you have to do. And I, I think there is more of a natural aversion to political correctness, to being told, we're going to put you in this box, sit in that box, and that's what you have to believe. Keep your mouth shut. So I think that is one reason that there is pushback among younger men. Now, whether that translates to political success, that 
depends on how, how we work to reach them. But I, I do think there needs to be a concerted effort to reach young women as well. And I think that the, um, I think the, the winning path there is providing an alternative to the vision for what a woman's life should be, a young woman's life, that the left is giving them. Right now, the, the culture is failing women. It's failing young women by telling them what their identity should be. It's failing them with this, the lie of, of you know, sexual freedom and the revolution and how it's gonna make them happier. They're less happy than they've ever been. And I think we need to start providing alternatives for them as well. But interesting data points right now coming out about Gen Z that, um, again, take some work to win over, politically yeah. speaking, but I, I think there is opportunity there. Mm -hmm. So to come back to your earlier question about is, is the battle winnable, I think it is, um, but it is a battle right now that uh, it's clearly in need of some waging. That's ex no, uh, that's, so, that's so true. That's a great observation. So you're looking for a university that's perfect for you, a school that has anything you could possibly need. Anything? You want a place that has the programs you want to study, and maybe a few more just in case you change your mind. I think I'm going to sign up for the fashion design program. All right. A place with state-of-the-art facilities. I mean, look at this campus. And who doesn't love big town sports? Okay, now we're on a roll. Somewhere you can hike, slide, strike, shoot, climb, eat, and most importantly, eat. You want a place that takes you to space? Okay, maybe not, but we can teach you how to fly, or pastor a church, or run a business. And all that with a great view? Yeah, I think I know a place. It's interesting, too, that men, boys, young men, are seven times more likely to drop out of college than, than a woman. Yeah. Uh, they are five times more likely to commit suicide. And so you, you're, in a high, you're in a highly toxic culture where men are discouraged, they're hated, yeah. they're rejected. I saw a meme was a couple of years ago. It was a young uh, mother, you know, single mother. Yeah. You, know, I don't, um, you know, I don't want a man. There was a teenage girl, I don't need a man. <clears throat> there was a young boy, I don't want to be a man, right? Yeah. And so you see, you and see that. And there was a young right? girl that said, I can be a man. Yeah, yeah. There's another one, right? That's the, that's the, that's the 2022, yeah. 23 yeah. version, I can be a man. Um, that's right. Well, you, you've got the, the, the Avenger lesbians right yeah. now that, yeah. that are all out there on, um, and by the way, those, those always fail in the box office. Yeah. Um, but as long as there's ESG, who cares, right? So, uh, but, but I, I will say, that in a, in a society that rejects men, you know, the gospel comes along and it actually gives, gives you a great deal of hope. You have a purpose. And, and by the way, you have a responsibility. Yeah. Uh, you have to lead. Uh, not only that to be to be the the leader of families, but in society, no mm -hmm. society flourishes without strong men. It's true, and so you know there is hope in that regard, and there is a natural aspect. You know, natural proclivity. Young men are like, no, like I, I have. I'm frustrated. I'm. I you know I have to have an outlet right for my energy and my strength and all of this, whether it's sports or something else, and so. In, in some way, you see the, e the evil that can come from that. Then you're also there's potential for good too. Yeah. But the church has to capitalize on that. Yeah, I think the um, the crisis of masculinity right now in America, the fact that we have neutered men, and it started with the um, both literally and metaphorically in, in some cases, but the 
the, I think start of it was the redefining of what masculinity actually was. Mm -hmm. I meet so many young men who come up and they're like, hey, I feel like I'm being held back. I, I, I'm like scared to be chivalrous. I'm scared to embrace like what I was taught being a man was. And it was this redefining to where masculinity and, and manhood and the word man itself was, was demonized. And so, I, yeah, I, I think there comes a role where the overcorrection can also be a problem, mm -hmm. where I do see a lot of young men falling into the trap of um, kind of this like, <laughs> I don't know if you, the men's power movement, which, which can go too far, where I think there are a lot of uh, con artists out there preying on young men that are searching for meaning, that do feel like, hey, I want someone to tell me I can be a man and I'm not evil for it. Yeah. But the church does need to step up and say, hey, if we're not providing answers for these men who are searching, someone else will provide those answers. Right now they're floating, a lot of them are, are searching, they're finding negative alternatives in many cases, and I think we That's need right. to come in with a, a biblical alternative of what a man actually is and, and tell them, hey, you can live out your masculinity, you can walk in manhood, but you can also embrace servant leadership, you can also embrace uh, manhood in the sense that, that Christ treated us as the, uh, you know, as the husband of the church and saying, I'll lay down my life for you. That's what manhood actually is. Yeah. But if we don't provide that you know, alternative for them, they're going to get the completely warped perception of what a man is in a negative way, and you've got kind of the extremes of both sides right now that are that are sucking young men in. Yeah, it's like, it's like barstool manhood, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like the worst form of it, yeah. and it's actually that that all that does is prolong uh, adolescence, male adolescence. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, we're gonna leave it there. This is this is an awesome. Let's conversation. go hit the gym together after that's this. Right. Talk about that's right. That's yeah. right. I'll spot you. Okay. <laughs> you, you just left, and I'll just spot you. You know, well, you just give give yourself ten more years, and you'll be right where I am. But hey, I'm so encouraged by you. Appreciate all you're doing out there in leading. Obviously, being a champion for Christ, uh, but uh, one of the one of the most trustworthy conservative news news outlets in the world. Yeah. And uh, appreciate everything that Daily Wire is doing. And I uh, hope to see you back here again and again and again. I appreciate that. Liberty is always somewhere I want to be. I'm a proud grad and uh, always will be. This was a lot of fun. Thanks. Well, we're proud of you. you. And folks, stick around for final thoughts. Hey, thank you for joining the Give Me Liberty podcast. I was so grateful to sit down with Cabot Phillips. I'm so thankful that he joined us in offering his unique perspective on the many issues facing the Gen Z generation. Despite all the cultural whims, dishonesty in the media, especially on social media, the increasing rejection of truth, Christians need to stand resolutely on scripture. We must be dedicated to reaching the youngest generation for the truth of God's word, and we must reach them with the love of Jesus Christ and to understand their God-given freedoms. As President Ronald Reagan so famously said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. So let's continue to pass on the rich legacy of freedom to our children and our children's children. Until next time, God bless you.